to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. And um, uh, John, Johnny, John leaves tomorrow, right? You've, you're moving tomorrow. Tuesday. Tuesday. So you got enough movers? You got to need some help? Uh, I'll let you know if you're available. Yeah, we are. Like, I'm available. Just, okay. just text me sure. like an hour ahead of time if you can. And whoever wants to help, it's, it's, it's not a lot of packing. But, so he's going to be moving back, so we're going to miss him. But we might have to come to St. George and just visit you guys. So. But uh, Daphne, is, uh, she is a friend of ours for many years. And she moved down here with her husband, what, five years ago? October 2010. Okay, six years ago. Almost, yeah, almost six years. That's amazing. So she was Austin's sixth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. Austin now is in, mm-hmm. in Baltimore in Bible school. He just, we sent him off this week. So we got we to comfort the Lions family because they all miss Austin. And we got to pray for Michael because now he's got to take on, he's got to take on the, the big responsibility of being the oldest sibling in the family. Right? And he does. And he's doing good. <laughs> Matthew chapter 11. I just want to talk about doubt this morning, a little bit about doubt. Does anybody know what that means, doubt? Anybody ever doubted here? One person, one honest person, two honest people. Okay, some more, okay. And I was thinking about this, and um, I think a lot of times we find in our life a system of thinking that because we're good moral Christians, we're thinking, oh, I can't do that. And then we, that's the end of the conversation. And so what happens is, is that we never get into God's resolution for doubt. And doubt is an amazing thing. And it's, believe it or not, it's something that God uses in our life. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But in Matthew chapter 11, we see a great man of God struggling with doubt. And if we start in verse 1, uh, as Christians, we realize if you follow God for any period of time, you're going to realize that we can wind up doubting just about everything. I mean, as time goes on, there are things that we doubt. Sometimes we doubt our salvation. Sometimes we doubt God's plan. Sometimes we doubt our own decisions. Sometimes we doubt other people's decisions. Sometimes we even doubt the plan of God. Like, am I even in the plan of God? And so these kind of thoughts we see here happening with one great man of God in Matthew chapter 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples. And that is a New King James word, commanding, which actually should be translated uh, charging or instructing or leading or guiding his disciples. He departed from there to teach and to preach in other cities. And I like that. Jesus was on the move. Jesus was not only in one place for a long period of time. He He had discipleship going on, and then he moved on. And this was great. And when John had heard in prison, verse 2, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, and they were supposed to ask Jesus this question, are you the coming one or should we look for another? Wow, what a statement. What a question. You ever read that? You wonder what is going on in John's mind? Why would he be sending two of his disciples to ask that question? I like the Bible because the Bible is, if you read it carefully, it's a book of, there's a lot of honesty. There's a lot of things going on in people's lives that, if I was to write a religious book, I wouldn't put certain things in, in there. I'd be writing things like, you know, and Abraham believed everything that God said and never doubted and just followed God and 
his perfect plan and God blessed him abundantly and there was no sin in his life. That's not the way that goes in the life of Abraham. We see in the book of Hebrews, and I say this a lot because it really means a lot to me, Hebrews chapter 11 is not the hall of fame for the super faithful spiritual ones, but it's a hall of fame of just human beings that discovered a faithful God. And as they departed, so, I'm sorry, in verse, in verse 4, and Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John. So Jesus is going to explain to John, who's in, now in prison, the, uh, he's going to address John's problem. And when we look at the way God ministers to people through Jesus Christ, Jesus is ministering not to people on, what, on the level of what they're supposed to be doing, but he is ministering to them right at where they're at, where they are at with, with, with whatever level of faith or capacity that they have. And Jesus, be, and Jesus said, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he adds this little tag on the end. It says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, why does he say that? Why is he saying that to John? Blessed is he that is not offended in me or because of me. Here is what's happening in John's mind. And, I'm, and I've spent some time thinking about this and thinking about John. John the Baptist represents an era of the Old Testament that is coming to an end. John the Baptist comes. He is the last of the prophets. He is described by Jesus later as the greatest of the prophets. Because John the, the Baptist is a representative of the Old Testament, but he gets to actually see the coming Savior who is bringing a new era, a new time called the time of grace, the time of redemption. And so here is John. Remember in Matthew chapter 3, remember when John the Baptist is out in the wilderness? I was thinking about it. I met a guy yesterday uh, at Golden Corral in, in uh, Galveston, and he said, I'm from Odessa, Texas. And he goes, it's just so hot out there. He just says, it's like, it's like the wilderness. And we talked a little bit. He was a Christian, and we had a good, good short fellowship. And I imagine John the Baptist out in the wilderness in this extreme heat, you know, uh, and he was eating locusts and honey. What a diet, you know? Definitely gluten-free there, right? <laughs> no fat. I think he was a pretty lean guy. And what his, he had his clothing on inside out because it was a statement of the lack of comfort. And his message was a message of two things. Repent and be baptized because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, remember? And so John the Baptist's message was to repent, change your mind. That's what repentance means, a change of mind, and receive Christ. It was a very evangelical message. And so John is preaching this message. Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, actually at the same location historically of where the Israelites cross into the promised land. He baptizes them there. And it's actually, some commentators say it's even possible that as Jesus was getting baptized, they could look up and see the stones from where Joshua put all the pile, those 12 stones, where the Israel, each one for a tribe of Israel. 
And they're being, he's being baptized there. And then Jesus starts his ministry. He starts his ministry preaching and teaching. But John continues his ministry as well. And so there's a little bit of a difference there in John's message and Jesus' message. Jesus' message is, believe and you shall be saved. John's message is, repent and be baptized. And so we see an era coming to the close being overlapped by a new era, which is the message of Jesus and the message of grace. And so we see in John chapter 3, and I'm going to get to the point in a minute, John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, we find that John's disciples begin to have a bit of a conflict with Jesus' disciples. I'm not going to read it today. But we see that John is still living in his message. He's still living in what he was doing. He baptizes Jesus. And this is just now my theory. This is not thus saith the Lord. Don't, don't quote me on this. That I'm, you know, I'm not writing a theology book on this. But it's just my thought, my just theory that John was struggling with what he thought Jesus was supposed to be and what Jesus was. Because we see a lot of people in Jesus' time with great expectation. Here's John that baptizes Jesus, uh, you know, behold the Lamb of God. I mean, here's John in his great, powerful preaching, and he's introducing Jesus coming into the ministry, starting his ministry the last three years. But there's a problem. John may have had, like some of his disciples had, a wrong concept of who Jesus was supposed to be. Jesus is going to come in, and he's going to set up a new kingdom. He's going to get the Romans off our backs. He's going to make Israel great again. He's going to set the whole nation up and turn us into some incredible, incredible world power where we're going to be ushering in the physical kingdom of God. But they had their eschatology a little off. They were off. They didn't understand that the kingdom would first be invisible, then later would be visible. And so here's John. He gets arrested, and he's sitting in jail. And there's a guy that, you know, when I was in Philly, there's a lot of people in jail up there. I don't know, very interesting place. But I would go. We went and visited this one guy in jail, and he said, I've had a lot of time to think. And jail is a place of thinking. And so John, John is sitting here in jail, just beginning to doubt. He's starting to rethink things. He's like, well, I thought Jesus was going to be like this. I thought the plan with God was going to be like this. But the message is, I mean, it, it kind of is the way God said it is, but it, it's just different. And I'm a little disappointed. I'm actually very disappointed. I'm at a place I'm struggling in my faith. And I think that this can happen today with a lot of a lot of people, especially the 20 and 30 year olds, where uh, we were talking about it this week with Sarah, that, that kids go to school, they go to college, and if they haven't been properly prepared in their hearts, they get shaken in their faith and they leave the faith. Barna Research says that 70 to 75 percent of, of gra- high school graduates that go on to college leave the basics of their Christian faith because they are not prepared to face the doubts and the questions that are thrown at them. First of all, I just want to say here, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus is saying, you know what? It's happening. I'm working. People are being healed. The work of God is carrying on. But John, it might be a little different than what you're thinking. Don't get offended. And the word here in the Greek is don't get scandalized. Another deeper meaning of that is don't get trapped in a place where you feel like you have no exit because of you, you had other expectations. 
I think one of the most difficult things in a relationship is, is, is expectations, undefined expectations. People have, un, we enter into relationships coming in from our culture, from our background, from our own desires, and you have another person coming into that relationship and their own background, history, and, and, and desire. And you have two people with undefined, undescribed expectations, and there's pressure in the relationship. This could happen with John, and I keep, keep wanting to say, yeah, John and, and Jesus. They were born just about the same time. And John has these expectations about Jesus, and Jesus is not necessarily, because Jesus is God, he's sovereign, and his plan is based on grace, and John is struggling with this. And so Jesus is, Jesus is so amazing. He sees right through everything that's going on in our life. Jesus doesn't condemn John for his doubt. Do you notice that? And I want to look at that in a second. Isn't it amazing that when we're struggling, Jesus is going to, he's going to pinpoint what really is happening in our soul. And, and I just want to, before we read verses um, 7 through 11, I want to, or verse 10, I want to read, I just want to mention one thing, what doubt is and what doubt is not. Doubt is not unbelief. Okay, because unbelief is sin. Doubt is not unbelief. It's two different words in the Bible. But often doubt can be confused as unbelief. Doubt is the bridge that connects current faith to mature faith. That's not original with me. Timothy Keller said this. Doubt often in the plan of God is a bridge from the place of faith where we're at today, and it brings us to a place of maturity. Uh, doubt is something that God, give, God, gives the, God gives doubt freedom to ask questions without God getting insecure. This is the thing what happens. I grew up in a church. I, w- I came into the church when I was about 11. That's when my family got saved. I went up through the Sunday school program. And I remember hitting those teenage years, 17. That was like a big year for me. I was like, everything started like... Really? You know, you start asking questions like, really, is that what, you know, what does he mean by that? And you got, and I think at the age of 17, or maybe even earlier, you start seeing hypocrisy. I think adults, we know how to manipulate and manage hypocrisy better than, 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 than youth. I mean, youth are just, they are, they are what they are. <laughs> they haven't learned at that point yet how to, how to, how to hide it. And so what happens here is, is that youth begin to ask questions. And I remember my Sunday school teacher one time asking my Sunday school teacher, how can I hear from God? And I was just a young kid, maybe, you know. And she made up an answer. And I knew she made it up, and it wasn't biblical, because she didn't know herself. She did not hear from God in her personal life. And I didn't say anything. I just, it just kind of rolled over me, and I just said, that was a manufactured answer. You know, I didn't use that word in my mind at that age, but I just thought that was not something that she knew the answer to. And I remember kind of being brushed off. And this is what happens with people, that if we don't know God, and if young people are not around people that are, are hearing from God, then I think that they're going to detect being pushed away, and their doubts are not going to be addressed. I think that an insecure person, when they are questioned by a doubtful person is going to, if they're not secure in God's love and secure in what they know, 
they're going to push people away. And when we push people away, then that's when doubt goes unaddressed and there's a crisis coming up in the future. I think it's wonderful when people ask questions because we're not insecure. Ask questions because if you know God and you know the word and you're growing in the word and somebody asks a question, that's exciting. I like that. I like when someone says, you know what? I don't know if I agree with that. I'd like to ask you more questions. I want you to answer my questions. And that's what God is like. God is not insecure. When we have issues in our life, like John, in jail, and things are not going away the way that we thought they were going to go, and we're a little, we're like, we're a little angry at God. Not a little, but we're just, you know, we're actually very confused. And at that moment, God is waiting for us to come to him at his throne of grace in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. That throne of grace that we can come to in the time of need and just listen to God and say, God, I don't know everything. This is what I'm feeling. I'm upset. I'm angry. And I like, I like David in, in, the, in the Old Testament. I like his relationship with God. He just said, God, I'm pouring out my complaint to you. I am just, I'm complaining. <laughs> David, had this, David had this relationship with God that he could go to God. And when he did that, God did not get insecure. And what happens? God answered his questions. John's doubt came because he had an unexpected way. He came to, John's doubt came to be in his own heart because of the unexpected way of Jesus, the way he was functioning, and that his message was a little different. And my theory is that John was examining Jesus through the magnifying glass of his own ministry of repentance and baptism, thus thus missing the ministry and the message of Jesus, leading to disappointment and doubt in his disciples. And this really impacted his disciples. So there's two kinds of doubt that we deal with in our life. There's two major kinds of doubt. Number one, the existential doubt, which means that it's against the laws of nature. For example, the resurrection. You know, this is something that we don't see happen every day, of course. And when we talk to an unbeliever about believing in God, we have to understand that they are not seeing the resurrection every day. This is something that they are not witnessing. And so they are doubting it because it goes against the laws of nature that they live in. There's a part of us that's bound to the laws of the universe that we live in, that's bound to the laws of nature. And when we hear of things, when we don't see something happening and we read a promise that it could happen, that God will do it, then that's hard for us to believe it because it's just not natural. The second kind of doubt is felt, the feeling of doubt, which is it goes against the laws and the feelings of the heart. The first kind of doubt was the kind of doubt that probably was more popular about 30 years ago. You know, when we lived in the age of absolutes, you know, where you were either it was black or it was white in the sense of what you believed. Um, Felt doubt is what we face more and more today. This is something that goes against the laws and the feelings of the heart. And and the meaning of that is, is that if it isn't real, it doesn't help me and it's not truth. When we talk to people today, many people doubt God because... They interpret truth, and I don't want to get too complex here. I don't want to get us lost in what I'm saying, but the way people interpret truth today generally is if it is real, 
if it benefits me and helps me in my problem, then it's truth. But if it's not helping me today, if it doesn't revolve around me, and if it doesn't make me feel better, then it's not actually not truth. Like someone can say, well, I believe in UFOs. Well, and then we say, well, that might be good for you, but that's not good for me, so I don't believe in that. That is the way people interpret truth. When we talk to people where we work, or when we're on the street, or when we're ministering to people, many times, even Christians are going to interpret truth this way, that how I cannot believe God because I don't feel his presence, and I don't see him working for me today. And so how does God just deal with that? Well, just a couple things. God is so merciful with our doubt. Remember, when we doubt, don't feel like that God is rejecting you. Just go to God with our doubt. Just say, God, I'm struggling with this in my mind, and I'm not getting it. Speak to me. Just let me know. Give me wisdom. In James chapter 1, it says that if we lack wisdom, then God's going to give it to us. It's the prayer that God's going to always answer in your life. If you lack wisdom... God's going to give it to you. Number two, understand that doubt is part of the process. You know, it's the shaking and the storms that, that let our anchor that's deep in the water dig in deeper into the rock that never changes. We were in that water yesterday, and it was so murky in that, in that seawater, in the Gulf water. And you just could not, even if you had these, these uh, goggles on, you, go in the, you can't see anything. That's really a lot like the way we are as individuals is that, you know, we don't see what's underneath other people. We don't see underneath what's really happening inside of us. And so God, sometimes his work is very like abstract, like, God, what are you doing in my life? Why is this happening? And God's saying, you know, I'm dealing with something deep in your soul that you don't even know is there because it's so murky. You know, we were walking around in in some waste deep water because Sean told us not to go out any deeper than our chest, because the undertow, and we were obedient. <laughs> we were walking around in the water, and you could feel things underneath your toes. You know, you could feel the hermit crabs that you were stepping on, or rocks or shells. You couldn't see them. And sometimes in our life, you know, we're walking through our life, and you're like, whoa, what is that? I feel that deep inside of me, but I can't make it out. What is that? And it's painful. And God's like, exactly, I want to I remove that foreign object out of your soul that's causing you discomfort that you can't even define, that you can't even see it. And that's why we have to trust God in his plan. That when things happen to us, we have to understand Romans 8, 28, that says, all things work together for good for them that are called according to his purpose and that love God. And so I just want to wrap it up with this. It takes... When we're talking to people that are skeptics, and you know there's two kinds of skeptics. There's skeptics that are Christian skeptics, where it's just us, where every day we're faced with things that we become skeptical about the plan of God. And then there's other people that just have no idea of God's existence. And they just are in a place where, like, they are interpreting their life based on what they can feel and what they can see. And... They say, I will believe if I can see. And this is Thomas. This is Thomas. This is John the Baptist in jail. Like, I want to see something. And many times, we can't prove most of the things that we believe by what we see. There's a lot of things that we believe that exist that we can't prove. 
And number two, the person who says, I can only believe in something if it can be rationally and empirically proven, must realize that this in itself is a statement of faith. Like when someone says, I can't believe in something unless I see it, unless I can feel it or understand it. This really is a statement of faith. Even the most unbelieving person has a capacity to believe. Uh, We are creatures of faith, whether we call it religious faith or whatever faith it is. We are people that that assume things that are true even though we don't know it by experience. For example, when was the last time you got on a carnival ride and you're getting in that seat and you're wondering, you know, this question comes to your mind, am I going to die here? Is this going to break? I remember when I had laser surgery and it's just quite a, on my eyes, it's quite an amazing thing that when they do it there, and I want to, I want to just spare you the gross details, but it's quite a, you know, they're just literally cutting your eye. I don't know if you've done it, but it's just, you know, very scary and you're there and they're working on your eye and you're awake and you see the laser just zapping your eye and you think if there was a, if there was a power surge right now or if all the lights went out, I'd be blind for life because you're doing this and you don't see anything. It's like, it's like a cloud over your eyes. You just can't see anything because your lens isn't there. And I just kept telling myself uh, what I read on the internet. Hundreds of thousands of people have had this operation and it was successful and it was a very low, low failure rate. And, and they, come, they come before the operation, they give you this Valium thing. And they said, this is going to make you feel better. It did make me feel better. I didn't feel anything. Oh, no. I, was just, I don't know if it was just placebo or whatever it was. But the lady next to me, we're all dressed up in our things, you know, ready for. And she's waiting in line after me. And she goes, I'm so nervous. I don't know if this is going to work. And I don't. And they actually say that sometimes during the operation, people just freak out. Because your head is like mobilized. You get this thing. It's mobilized your eye. You're just like looking into a light. And there's that mo- there is a moment during the operation where you just like, you feel like you're going to lose control. I don't know if you guys have been there, but, and, but you just keep telling yourself like, okay, the people have gone through this and, and uh, I'm assuming that this is going to be okay because people have had it and they like it. And I've had, I, I had the operation. I suggest that everybody does it. It's a three minute operation. It's amazing. It was really great. And I have to just wear reading glasses now. And, we have to understand that people are people of assumption and they are going to assume something whether they see it or not. And to believe in God takes, to not believe in God takes more faith than to believe in God. I just want to finish this message with this, that when we face doubt about the plan of God, it's most likely because we had certain expectations naturally in our in our old man that are hindering what God wants to do. And these concepts, God has to break them sometimes. And we don't know what God is doing, but God is breaking our concepts and he's teaching us to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus the whole time. I I heard this one story. We have a a Finnish pastor overseas and he used to be a, a deep sea diving instructor. And uh, what he would do is, is he would take people that were learning how to do deep sea diving, train them, teach them, and then usually their first dive would be the most difficult. He said, we would go down deep into the water. 
You can't really talk to each other. You can only do hand, sign language, you know, hand, hand motions. And he said, that, he said that when you're so deep in the water, the worst thing that you can do is panic and shoot up to the top because then you're, you know, you're going to have the bends. And he said sometimes his students would panic and they'd be very deep in the water, like, you know, very deep. And to rise to the top would take a good, good amount of time. And he said, the way I would calm them down was to grab their, 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 their face mask and look right into their eyes and just look right into their eyes and make them look right at me and just, and just, just do that. And he said, that always calmed them down. When we are in a state of panic and we don't understand what God is doing, we can't look at a lot of different things. Job did not have a lot of theology he could lean on. He just could look only at Jesus Christ. When we are struggling in our faith and everything around us is shaking, we got to look into the eyes of Christ and understand. And how does it mean to look into the eyes of Christ? Just open the Bible, read the, read the Gospels. Look into the eyes of Christ and understand who Jesus is. Because he's a person. He's not a religious ideology. He's not a philosophy. He is a living, breathing person. He's a person that uh, accompanies us. He is with us. He, it, he abides in us. He is here today. And when we look into his eyes, we see the promises of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, Maybe we've had a very negative experience, and we say, how can I reconcile that with the goodness of God? Well, if we're teachable then that negative experience is going to teach us so much. I think that sometimes the difficulties in our life teach us much more than the blessings. And when we go through difficult times, Abraham spent 13 years where there was no conversation with him and God. People say, well, I haven't heard from God in my life for just years. It's okay, because if we look into the eyes of Christ, that silence instructs us into a stability and instead of, instead of taking our doubt and going into sin and going into things that are, more, that are more immediate, we just take our doubt and say, God, here it is. No condemnation. You understand me. I'm a human being. Here's my doubt. Speak to me. I'll just finish with one, one story. There's a British guy that I went to Bible college with. And he was a scientist before he got saved and before he came to Bible college. <clears throat> and... He said, I had so many questions. I was so skeptical about God. I had so many questions and so many, so much def- just fragmented information in my mind about God and his existence or his lack of existence. And he said, he just said one day to God, he said, God, if you exist, reveal yourself to me. And God revealed himself to him in a special way where through the Bible, he just read the life of Christ in the Gospels. And he said, instead of God answering all of my questions, he gave me Jesus Christ. He gave me the person of Christ, the life of Christ, the works of Christ, and the understanding of Christ. And at that moment, all of my questions were answered because I met the person. You know, when you know the author of a book, you're going to understand the book so much better. If you don't know the author of a book, then it's going to be hard sometimes to understand that book. But if you know the writer of the book, how many of you that know authors of books? And when you read their book or their, their poetry or their, their material, it makes so much sense. You know where they're coming from. That moment when we find ourselves, like John, in jail, uh, maybe we got off track because we were into our thing and not what Jesus was doing. Maybe we got disappointed because we were expecting something else. At that moment, 
Don't get offended at God. Don't say, you know what, I'm just throwing in the towel. Uh, I, and here's another thing. Sometimes we don't even get offended. We just don't deal with it. We just say, okay, I'm going to push that off to the side. That's something I just don't know how to deal with. And that's what most of us do. We just leave it in the unresolved section of our soul. And that unresolved section starts to grow, and it creates pressure and anxiety. And we just be quiet before God, just listen to God, and understand, you know what? John the Baptist, you're not in control. You're not running the show here, you know? Joshua, you're not running the show here. Take your shoes off. Worship. John, I was reading yesterday, and this, this week my meditation was John uh, Joshua chapter 5, where there was the circumcision, there was the the worship, you know, there was that, you know, and before we can understand the plan of God, there's got to be worship. And so I just want to close with that, that in our doubt, we can either be like John the Baptist doubting, which is okay, or we can be like Paul and Silas in jail. We just worship God. And when we worship the Lord and say, God, I don't understand, but I'm just going to worship what I know about you. I'm going to just function in the faith that I have. And when we do that, we can let God be God because God wants us to go deeper in our life with him and not just, he doesn't want our works, our energy, our talents, which are important, but God wants our heart. Amen. I just want to finish with that. And let's just close with prayer as we prepare for the last song and the offering.